athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. Hey, yo, I could take a raindrop, turn it to an icicle. You got it locked to the dopest show on radio. I am your host, Donald Ware. Missed you guys on last week. I was up in Washington, in the Washington area, in the DMV. My grandfather had passed away at the age of 95. And uh, so was at a funeral on uh, last week, thus missing last week's show. And I'm going to tell you what, uh, you know, obviously 95 Living to be 95 years, that's a long, long time. It was a beautiful celebration. Being back in the DMV, where I grew up. You know, I originally grew up in Lewisdale, which is Hyattsville, Maryland, in the Lewisdale neighborhood, then moved to Silver Spring, to the Colesville neighborhood, and then ultimately to the White Oak neighborhood, then back to the Colesville neighborhood before I ultimately uh, moved uh, down to North Carolina and just being back at home uh, was really tremendous and getting to see family. I mean, I hadn't really spent any time back in Washington since maybe even I, I was up there in 2019, but like really briefly. So maybe even, I don't know, maybe the earlier part of 2019, perhaps 2018, but where I really got to spend some time. I took some time away uh, just to be able to go up, spend time with family, spend time with friends, etc. And I'm going to tell you what, it was absolutely tremendous. Um, I had an opportunity, right? And, you know, being in this business, you have an opportunity to meet many, many people. And we've had many, I mean, I, yeah, we have conversations and we'll talk. We have guests on the show Almost every week we'll have conversations with those guests. But, you know, sometimes you just you don't really that's all it is. It's interviewer and interviewee. Well, and, I, you know, I, I, I think it's interesting because I told some of my family members and some of my friends, I said, oh, yeah, you know, on Wednesday, I'm going to have lunch down in Ash. I'm going to have lunch with Doug, you know, and they're like, Doug. And I'm like, oh, yeah, down in Ashburn, I'm, I'm going to have lunch with Doug Williams. You know, they're like, and I, I just know him sort of as Coach Williams, right, as Doug, right? And knowing him over the years, having him on this program going back to 2007 was the first time we had him on the program. He uh, it was when uh, Eddie Robinson had passed away. He was in personnel with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, made the call to the Buccaneers, had him on the show, and really been in contact with him pretty much ever since even when he became the head football coach at Grambling and we of course did the box to row coaches poll and sometimes I'd have to say hey can you can you email your your ballot for the week and he, of course he 
ultimately would say, yeah, oh, yeah, I got you, no problem, and, and would do it. So, you know, it was the first time that it wasn't interviewer, interviewee, but just a couple of guys having some conversation, talking some HBCU football, right? Just talking about life. And I have to, I have to tell you, ultimately, so when the check, we had lunch, so when the check comes, right, he's like, you know, I said, oh, yeah, put it all on one, on, I, I told the, the server uh, to pull it all on one bill. And uh, then he said, hey, I got it. I said, nah, you don't pay for anything in this town. And he started chuckling, of course, thinking back. I'm a, I'm a, as you know, huge Washington now commanders. But at the time, Washington Redskins fan when, of course, he led uh, the the uh, the team to the Super Bowl. And so just just a great time. I had a chance to uh, uh, one of my friends and I uh, went on to Morgan State's campus and Morgan State's campus has grown tremendously from uh, the time that I was a student there in the late 90s until now. It is almost unrecognizable, had a chance to just kind of go on campus. And we actually had a chance to to talk with Ed Davis, who's the head women's basketball coach at Morgan State, a known uh, Coach Davis for many, many years. As a matter of fact, he and he and my parents grew up uh, in some of the same circles coming up in Washington, D.C. back in the day. So I've known him for a very long time, and we had a chance to just kind of chit-chat with him uh, for about a you know hour and a half or so just on Morgan's campus. We went by the bookstore. It was just a great time just kind of hanging out went to the Wizards game right had a chance to go and and see the Wizards game on Friday played the Hawks um and matter of fact uh Chris Stops Porzingis didn't play in that game he played the next night they played on Sunday and dropped 25 points in a victory for the Wizards by the way and I I really think like I was talking about when we talked about this about the, a month ago with the trade deadline I thought this was a good trade I think it makes sense especially if Beal comes back and plays next year. So you'll have, uh, if you have a healthy Porzingis, Beal, and then Kyle Kuzma, that, that, that's a good, that's, a, that's, that's solid. I mean, that's, you know, you're talking about, you know, maybe finishing somewhere, if everything goes right, maybe somewhere be, you know, certainly five or six, I think, in the East. And, you know, we'll see, maybe a little bit higher. But uh, they need more, but that's a good start, I think. So it was great, had a chance to, after the game, to uh, it, it was a game in which the Hawks won that game by three points. And Kyle Kuzma had a half-court shot uh, at the end of the game, the last shot. It didn't ultimately go in, but it was very, very close. It was like right at half-court. It almost went in, hit the back of the iron. It was right on line. I had a chance to talk with Wes Unsel Jr. after the game and Kyle Kuzma a little bit after the game. So it was really, really good uh, to be back ultimately in Washington. So got a good show for you today and we'll get to the guests momentarily. Since I was not here last week, you got to give me some leeway. There's a lot of things I want to talk about, but you got to give me a little bit of latitude to talk about Coach K and his ultimate retire. Well, at the end of the season, his ultimate retiring uh, from Duke and what we saw uh, on last Saturday at Cameron Indoor, we saw a North Carolina team that was very, very motivated to win that basketball game, and it ultimately did just that. It came in not only as underdogs because 
Duke is just has a really solid team, but also because of all the hype surrounding the last home game of Coach K or Mike Krzyzewski as the head coach at Duke. So a lot of motivation for Hubert Davis and his, and his guys, and they ultimately came through uh, in that basketball game. But I'll say that the post-game speech by Coach K when ultimately he did take responsibility, he just said, hey, our guys didn't come to play well tonight. Allow me to say this. This was unscripted. Uh, he wanted to at least say that. And then, uh, but he said, but they have played well all season. I thought uh, that that was very uh, classy. And then ultimately with the president of Duke and the AD of Duke speaking eloquently about him. And then ultimately, uh, you know, Coach K didn't want to make it ultimately about himself. But I thought he did a really, really good job in terms of speaking and talking about his time at Duke. And um, I mean, it, it was, you know, I I mean, yeah, we can talk about, you know, how impassioned he is on the court and, you know, how, uh, I mean, he can be very fiery. It's no question about that. I mean, I've seen that up close and personal. But ultimately, I mean, he's just a class guy. And by the way, I mean, we've been able to have Coach K on this program three times over the years, going back to, I think, 2011 was the first year. Uh, then maybe the next year, 2012, and then like 2014 or 2015, something like that. And I got to give big shots out to the Duke uh, Athletics Department, more specifically uh, John Jackson, who uh, – so John Jackson was the SID at Duke, was sports information at, director at Duke. When I was sports information director at A&T, this is going back to the late 90s, early part of the 2000s, and I remember the time that Duke and A&T played – and uh, A&T played at Duke at Cameron Indoors. First time I had been to Cameron Indoor. J.J. Miller of A&T dropped 36 points in that game against, you know, Jay Williams and Chris Duhon and, you know, Shane Battier and all those guys. Um, and so I, I remember that. But, I mean, you know, John Jackson, just, you know, to be able to have Coach K on your show three times, I think that's, I mean, that's pretty special and pretty awesome. By the way, if you want to hear those interviews, those conversations that we had with Coach K over the years, you can log on to, you know, we talked about the Radio Boss, that project. Uh, you can log on to the website, radio-boss.com, radio-boss.com, to listen to those conversations with Coach K over the years. So uh, just wanted to say that, and still more basketball, obviously, plenty more basketball uh, for the Blue Devils to play. And that Duke... By the way, that Duke and Carolina rivalry is absolutely off the chain. I mean, I've had a chance to go to a couple of those games. Believe me, it is it, it is cool when you're when they're playing at Carolina, but it's off the charts when the game is at Duke because Duke is so small. Carolina um, facility, I think, holds like nineteen or twenty thousand. Duke's holds like eight thousand, something like that. So it's very intimate and very small. Matter of fact, I had a chance to be there. I think it was two thousand seventeen. Whatever or whatever that last year that Jason Tatum was there. And, I mean, that's the night at Cameron Indoor when Carolina and Duke got together. That's the night that Jason Tatum became Jason Tatum. And, by the way, to have 96 of his former players, Coach K's former players, there at the game was absolutely phenomenal. So, still to come here on Box to Row, 
It's just about NCAA tournament time. A couple of teams have punched their tickets to the NCAA tournament, to the big dance. One of those teams is Chattanooga and Chattanooga head men's basketball coach Lamont Paris going to join us. Plus, I've got some thoughts on the Art Bryle situation at Grambling. Plus, some NFL talk, all of that on the way. You've got the program on Box to Row Radio and Sirius XM 142. The old renaissance is the new renaissance, standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company, uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitby, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh Market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsboro. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's. And in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. Hello, my name is Precious Rose Dunlap, and this is my mother, Michelle Timlake Roll, founder of Marjorie's Beef Jerky Incorporated. We would at this time like to thank our new customers as well as our repeating customers for your business. For every one million orders that we receive, our company is giving two million dollars away to the bottom of four hundred of our paid customers. You see, that's the way we roll. So come place an order at Marjorie's Beef Jerky. More of Box to Row with Donald Ware is on the way. Hey, Bugsy, you hear the news about Vinny? Yeah, it's a real shame he owed money to the IRS and they finally cut up with him. Just like Al Capone. If the IRS can get to Capone, imagine what they can do to little old Vinny, huh? Poor cat, he was on top of the world, then bada-boom, bada-bing. What Vinny needs now is an offer he can't refuse. Hey, you got a tax problem? Does the IRS claim you owe them a bunch of dough? They can get you too. So call the tax relief line now and learn if you qualify to negotiate your $10,000 plus IRS tax debt for up to a 75% savings. Don't be like Al or Vinny and get busted. Make this free call now. Learn how you may be able to pay the IRS less. Call now. 888-789-5043. 888-789-5043 You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row From the Press Box to Press Row Box to Row Box to Row Box to Row Baby, 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 baby fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, you prepare a table for me, in the presence of my enemies, 
We're back here on Box to Row. So again, in being gone last week, I didn't have a chance to really expound on the Art Bryles situation at Grambling. And ultimately, Art Bryles has resigned or had already resigned. I guess it's been about a week now as the offensive coordinator at Grambling. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. I actually talked about this on one of the on one of the platforms that Box to Row airs on a couple of weeks ago, as a matter of fact, when it was going on. So that's why it's important that you follow us on Twitter at Box to Row because this is something uh, that I talked about. This was before ultimately Art Bryles had resigned as the offense or excuse, yes, as the offensive coordinator at Grambling. Before he resigned, I had already talked uh, about this. This is when he had just been hired, and this was a hot button topic. I'm going to sort of go back to that and then kind of see where we are now. So when I saw this, it was about two weeks ago, come across the bottom line screen that Art Bryles had been hired as the head football coach, or excuse me, had been hired as the offensive coordinator at Grambling. My my first thought took me back to Bryles' days at Baylor as the head coach. And while I couldn't remember everything specifically that had happened with him in terms of the scandal with sexual allegations levied against his players, I just remember it being a bad, bad situation. I wouldn't say, it, and, and Baylor has gone through some uh, some scandals and some bad situations. You can go back uh, to the early part of the 2000s, I believe, when one of the one of the players, uh, basketball players, killed another player and then tried to cover it up. And it was this whole thing with the coach at the time. So, I mean, Baylor has sort of gone through this. It obviously wasn't as, I mean, well, it, it, it just reminded me of that a little bit. Um, the, the Art Bryles situation at Baylor. So I'm thinking to myself, wow, that, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's a good, I don't think that's a good hire at all. But as I said at the time, I mean, I guess Gramlin has to do uh, what it, and this was a couple of weeks ago when I spoke about this, that Gramlin, uh, I guess, has to do what it, what it, what it feels is, is best. But I mean, I, you know, I look at this, I, I look at that and, and I'll just, you know, say this, I look at that hire and you've got Doug Williams who criticized that hire immediately uh, to the Washington Post was not in favor at all, of it at all. Um, as he said and was quoted as saying, and as I don't, I, he never met Art Bryles at all. But think about it. Art Bryles never, ever since the Baylor situation, he never had a collegiate job. Now, let's go back to the Baylor situation with respect to Art Bryles uh, a little bit here. So he was acquitted, in essence, by the NCAA findings of any wrongdoing specifically. However, it was stated in the report that he did not talk about or uh, take to higher authorities, uh, if you will, the allegations against some of his players. So to me, in that respect, whether he was, I mean, he's, he's culpable, right? Like he's culpable in that situation by knowing that, Either there was some kind of sexual allegation 
against his players or whether he knew that that had happened or he had heard somebody had told him, even if it was from that vantage point. That's something that you have to report to your higher-ups. He did not ultimately do that. It came out. He was ultimately fired uh, by Baylor. So it was a bad situation. I think he had been in in a high school, which in of itself I think uh, is bad as well. Like I think I'm of the opinion that people deserve a second chance. At the same time, it depends on what A happened or or perhaps you were accused of. Now, again, he wasn't, he was in essence acquitted, but he was culpable because he knew that there were allegations against his players at Baylor. So, as Doug Williams mentioned, why are we the ones, meaning Grambling, who of course Doug Williams and a, a, uh, one of the most prominent alums of Grambling, you know, said as much. Now, I, I believe there's a faction that still wanted Bryles to be hired. You know, I, 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 can't, I can't get on board with winning at all costs. You know, the, the second chance that Hugh Jackson as the head coach is getting at Grambling is not the same second chance as Art Bryles. With respect to Hugh Jackson, he just didn't have a lot of success as the head coach with the Browns, with the Raiders. You can look at any number of things that ultimately happened there as to why he did not have success. Maybe he didn't have the support. We can argue all of those things. I mean, at the end of the day, his record, at least with the Browns, spoke volumes, okay? So, you know, and then also, I mean, Hugh Jackson's not getting off to a good start at all. He's had a couple of missteps. You look at the misstep with Brian Flores when he ultimately said to the, in essence, said that Flores, uh, or that uh, that he uh, was paid by the Browns to lose games on purpose uh, and then ultimately walked that back. So that was bad in of itself. Then you have this Art Bryles situation uh, as well, and then Bryles ultimately resigned. He wasn't that you know he ultimately resigned because he said he didn't want to bring this kind of scrutiny to the university. So he ultimately stepped down. Not a good look at all, I think, for Grambling. Um, I think that uh, you know there's a couple of missteps here. By Hugh Jackson early on, we haven't even played. Uh, we haven't even played a game. Hasn't even coached a game. Spring practice, I think, is getting ready to get started. If it's not already started, and uh, and obviously that part of it has died down because. But I mean, think about this. We're not saying that Art Bryles, Hugh Jackson made the recommendation. I mean, we're saying that Art Bryles, not that he made the recommendation that Bryles be hired as the head coach at Grambling, or excuse me, I keep saying that, the offensive coordinator at Grambling. He was already named the offensive coordinator, which means Grambling hired him. That's a that's a bad look on Hugh, in my opinion. It's a bad look on Hugh Jackson. It's a bad look on Grambling State University uh, for that to ultimately have happened uh, so, you know, this is this has been a couple of missteps uh, with Hugh Jackson 
uh, in my opinion. Further, okay, further, now wide receivers coach of Grambling, John Simons, has now been moved up or been promoted, if you will, to now the offensive coordinator. Now, John Simon has a bit of a background, okay? He was placed on administrative leave within his position at Memphis back about a year ago after a sexual assault and Title IX complaint was filed against him. Okay, now ultimately that allegation in the Title IX suit was dropped because uh, in this case, John Simon was no longer with the Memphis program. So, I mean, you just, I mean, within a month's time frame, you've had a bunch of missteps with respect to the Grambling program. Hugh Jackson having to walk back comments that he made about the Browns paying him to lose games. Then the hiring of Art Bryles and now the promotion of John Simon as the offensive coordinator. Boy, I tell you what, that is uh that is a tough thing uh, for Grambling. We'll ultimately see how things play out. I think everybody deserves a second chance. I mean, and in defense of John Simon, it was he he has he denied the allegations. So you know, it, it's one of those things he said, she said. Um, you know, listen, I've got a daughter, right? I've got a wife. I've got a sister. I had a mother, right? Like I, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I feel a certain kind of way about the, this situation and these particular hires again in the Simon situation. Again, we don't know exactly what happened in that situation. With respect to Bryles, okay, we we do know, at least from the NCAA's report, okay, that he ultimately was, um, he knew about it and, and didn't do anything about it. You know, so I, I mean, I, he's I mean, you're culpable there. I mean, I, you know, and it's not, you know, that that's bad. I mean, that's really, really bad in of itself. So we've got some missteps there uh, at Grambling. Um, and we'll ultimately see what happens um, with Hugh Jackson as the head coach uh, at Grambling. It's a it's a high-profile hire. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But, man, I'll tell you what, there's been some missteps within that program very early on. Your thoughts, hit me up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Up next here on Box to Row, Chattanooga head men's basketball coach Lamont Paris joins us. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Steph Curry. Your progress from Davidson to now with Golden State. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college at Davidson. Uh, it's a great story, and uh, I'm just having fun you know, living my dream and riding the ride. That, of course, the voice of Bianca Belair. EST is in the building. That's what Sasha Banks and I are going to do. We're going to uh, WrestleMania. We're going to create history. We're going to be the first two black females to have a title match at WrestleMania. I would say representation is it's not a request. It's a requirement, and I'm going to, to try to become SmackDown Miss Champion. But it's more than just creating a moment and becoming a champion. Just by us standing in the ring, we are representation for women, for black women. 
And so that's an amazing feeling to be able to be that, be that person and be on that platform and the greatest of them all and, and be able to create history. It's just, it's an honor. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. I'm excited I get to play for them. They support us in everything we do. You know, it's a joy to, you know, go to work and, and know that you're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to cheer for you as loud as they can, no matter who you're playing. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, I was really focused, just really, you know, excited. Rob Manfred is the commissioner of Major League Baseball. Players that have been accused in their career of using performance-enhancing drugs, should they be in the Baseball Hall of Fame? I'm going to focus on one word in your question, okay? Accused. Players who have tested positive or there's otherwise been real solid proof that they were involved with performance-enhancing drugs, I think that Hall of Fame writers are entitled to make their own judgment about those players as to whether they think that performance-enhancing drugs or their use of performance-enhancing drugs should prevent them from being in the Hall of Fame. You cannot determine who used performance-enhancing drugs by the way a player looks. It's simply not possible. The one and only Michael Strahan. Always good to talk to you. Hopefully next time it won't be, what, 14 years. <laughs> you can get to it. Man, you know what it's good? And, and, and uh, you're encouraging people to be better and do better. And, and that's what I love, man. So thank you. I appreciate you. I'm talking about none other than common. Well, I ended up in Sam just because I wanted to major in business. And Sam, you had the illustrious school of business. Then I found out that business was the key. That's what I wanted to do. NBA All-Star Chris Paul. That was great to bring it back to Winston-Salem State University, uh, Black College. Something that my city had never seen before, may never see again. And just having a up-close and personal feeling with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Melogs. It was exciting. I'm grateful for those guys coming out. He is Stephen A. Smith. Congratulations on all the things y'all have done. Congratulations. Keep up the hard work. Winston-Salem State, I had an absolute ball. The only part that was bad uh, was the basketball because my first year there, I cracked my kneecap in half. If I had one thing that I could do over, it would be that I would be there 100% healthy so I could really showcase what I could do. But outside of that, there's absolutely nothing that I would have changed. It was the greatest years of my life. Simone Biles. I guess I just go in there with a positive, open mind of just doing what we do in training and going out there and doing the best that we can do and just have fun with it. I didn't really think of the outcome, but I knew that we had been training hard and we were re- we were just ready. Greatest football player to ever play, Jim Brown. Muhammad Ali was a principal person in the country at the time, and he stood up and said that he was not going to the service because it was against his religion. Called all the top black athletes together, along with Carl Stoke, the first black mayor of a major city. So. I'm glad you brought that particular incident up. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh, man, thank you for having me play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honored. You know, football league has done so many wonders. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have going to Division One. Kyrie Irving. Playing at Duke for Coach K. What was that like and how that prepared you for the league now? Playing 11 games, you know, a lot of people think that's not a... No big package for you to become a better player, but for me it was playing for Coach Jay. He gave me the keys to, to the car, and I was driving it in first eight games. And you know, being a part of something special like that, and having a brotherhood built at an institution such as that one, is an experience that you never forget. Ice Cube has been our guest. Hey man, thanks for letting me talk a little music, movies, and sports. Hey, my favorite three topics. Hey everybody, what's going on? This is Anthony Anderson, international movie star and funny mother. <laughs> and you're listening to From the Press Box 
to Press Row. From the Press Box to Press Row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of HBCU sports with a flair for pro sports talk and entertainment. Check the show out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's from the Press Box to Press Row, real, relevant, radio. Chattanooga of the Southern Conference with a huge win earlier in the week in the SoCon Tournament Championship over Furman. An overtime victory, as a matter of fact, 64-63 to in his fifth season as the head coach of Chattanooga is Lamont Paris. Of course, Chattanooga waiting to hear where they will be seated in the NCAA Tournament as Coach Paris joins us here on Box to Row. Coach Paris, congratulations and welcome to the program. First of all, thanks for having me. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. It's been a lot of fun, a great group to coach. You know, I guess every coach is going to say that, but I know every coach can't possibly mean it. But this is an awesome, awesome group of individuals to coach, and I'm fortunate to be their coach, and we're ready to rock and roll. Absolutely, no doubt about that. Because I, I got to, you know, the old saying, from whence we came. So we, we got to talk about that to where you are That's right. right now. But I want to start here. The overtime victory over Furman in dramatic fashion. First, even before we talk about the overall game, we got to talk about David Jean Baptiste's shot from half court to win you that basketball game. Unbelievable. It's an unbelievable story. And, you know, there's a lot of background to David Jean Baptiste. It was so fitting that it was him. It had to be him. Um, he's been here six years. He's been here longer than me. Honestly, he redshirted and then got the extra COVID year. And so, it's not even what you dream of. It's beyond what you dream of, that shot there for what it's worth and all that. And so just uh, a spectacular storybook moment that, that not only he, but everyone in this program, in this city, and in anyone watching that game is going to remember that shot for forever. So just an incredible moment. No question. Take me through the victory 64-63 to 63 in overtime. Of course, you won the regular season. Uh, a tough matchup against Furman yeah yeah we uh we you know this game was almost a, a carbon copy of the game at their place we got off to a terrible start in fact this one was even worse uh at their place we were down 27 20 at halftime and so um you know off to a slow offensive start but luckily we did enough defensively just to, to keep the number that we were down manageable we focused on what the number was what the difference was it didn't matter it was 16 to 26 or if it was 46 to 56, it was still a 10-point spread. So uh, how do we get back from that? And that's what we started doing. But, uh, yeah, we had some really good battles with them. We beat them twice during the regular season. And so this was, you know, it's hard to beat a team three times, let alone a good team, and for what this game was worth. And so, yeah, so we just we hung in there. We came out strong in the second half. We got it to cut it to five in, in, in no time, and then we took the lead within five minutes uh, of the second half. So that's when we settled down, started playing. It was nip and tuck. I thought we had a great opportunity to win it at the end of regulation. They made a couple big-time, big-time shots. They got some great players. Bob Ritchie's a really good coach, but the, but these were some individual play players making plays. I don't think it was in the, in the playbook. And so uh, hats off to them. But, yeah, so it ended up going to overtime. We both were very efficient in the overtime period, and it just was we had the ball last, and we were able to make something happen. So incredible game, incredible matchup with them. We had some really good battles with them. But, uh, but we, we've got a really good, solid team. No doubt. And you're right. I mean, it's hard to beat a team 
three times. That point was proven with the overtime victory against Furman. What did you say to your team at halftime? I mean, you got down, as you mentioned, by as much as 12 points early on in the second half. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, we tried to focus on – it was an abysmal offensive performance for us, and luckily it was for them too. And there's a lot riding on the game. Some guys were tight, uh, quite frankly. I think we had some good shots. They had some good shots. But, but it was a combination. We played enough good defense, and, and they missed a couple of things, that the spread was 10. We were down 10 at halftime. And we've been down 10 at halftime before, and, and it's just – that's a manageable number, right? If it's 20, it's tough. It's tough. Uh, but it's a manageable number. So I, I just encourage the guys to, you know, get out of feeling bad because we only have 16, right? If we had 46 and we're down 10, everyone would feel good because uh, you'd have two threes. I'd have two threes, maybe a couple dunks. We'd still be down 10, guys. So what do we need to do to get ourselves back into the game? And that was our thing, just getting back to what we do and playing, guys. Just, just play. Lamont Paris in his fifth season as the head coach at Chattanooga out of the SOCON joins us here on Box to Row. Coach Paris, how much pressure did you all as a team perhaps feel coming into the SOCON uh, tournament as the number one seed and, of course, champions of the SOCON? Yeah, I, I think, I think one, when you play at this level, you're going to feel some pressure, period. So I think Furman – uh, and our team felt some pressure. There's only one team, guys, in this league that's ever gone to the NCAA tournament. And so uh, uh, there's some pressure in that uh, to begin with. And then when you're the number one seed, you know, we were preseason. You think about what these guys did. They were preseason picked to win the conference. Okay, so then through 18 games, ups and downs, one guy's hurt, this guy's got a concussion, another guy's got COVID, we played poorly on this day, this guy had a bad exam grade and doesn't feel great, this guy's girlfriend broke up with him. Through 18 games, uh, uh, with the pressure of being preseason number one, they, they, they came through as the number one team when it's all said and done and won by two games in the regular season. So then you go into the conference tournament with all that uh, uh, on you, and so just to perform – uh, they say it's hard, like we said, it's hard to beat a team three times. We had to do that three times. Uh, and each of those games that we won was the third time we had beaten each of those teams. So um, a lot stacked up against these guys. A lot, you talk about, but we've got an older, mature group. They manage those expectations incredibly well, incredibly well. And, uh, you know, rather than feeling like it was pressure, they felt like it was opportunity, I think. And, and that helped them, uh, uh, you know, be consistent in what they were doing and be able to win when uh, the regular season, the, the, the conference tournament, they just don't hand those things out. It's a very difficult thing to do. It's a huge accomplishment for our guys, and, and, and I'm glad to get on here and talk about them to that end. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you look at Silvio D'Souza. I mean, he was very consistent for you, a double-double, 17 points, 14 rebounds. In the game, he was 7 of 10 from the field. Can you speak specifically to his play in the, the win over Furman? Yeah, uh, sure. And, and, and before I do that, I always like to talk about him as a human being. He's, a, he's an incredible. My life is made better on a daily basis when I say hello to him. But yeah, as a player, he's a dominant force physically. He's just he's one of the most powerful guys that I've ever coached or coached against in my entire career. And, and that's a lot of good guys and a lot of strong, physical, powerful guys. But yeah, he's, he's just when he's active, uh, like he was in this game, he affects the game in so many ways, whether it's a block shot, a rebound in a crowd, an alley-oop dunk, running the floor, 
uh, uh, whatever it is, uh, he, he can make post moves around the basket too. But just when he's active like he was in this game, it, it, it impacts the game in such a, such a dramatic fashion. And so it was huge for him. Our, our, our go-ahead bucket, I mean, we were up one actually, but to go from one to three at the end of the game came on a tip in by Silvio. And it just was just some extra effort. He's just a, he's a force of nature out there, particularly when he's being really active. Lamont Paris in his fifth season as the head coach at Chattanooga joins us here on the program. I mean, you look at Silvio, right? Then you look at, we talked about David Jean Baptiste, the guy that has been getting it. All your players have been getting it done, but the, but the guy that's leading you, I'll put it like that in scoring, Malachi Smith at 20.1 points per game mm-hmm. throughout the course of the season. This kid is just a sophomore for you. He is. He is. It's, it's hard to keep that in your mind. And, uh, you know, every now and then you forget all these guys are young and he'll say something or do something and you'll say, that's right, he's just a sophomore. But, uh, <laughs> but he doesn't play like that, that's for sure. Um, he's got, he just has a knack for making the right play. We, we've asked him to do a lot. We moved him to the point guard position. He's got really good size. He's normally played off the ball. We moved him to the point guard position and asked him to make more decisions and asked him to get more guys involved. And, uh, and he's done a tremendous job of that, uh, as well as scoring. You know, the funny thing is that normally when a guy scores 20 a game for a whole season, it's, it's hard to do for a whole season. There'll probably only be 10, 11 guys that do that all year. But for a whole season, oftentimes it's, it turns into that they were a high-volume guy, and that's how they ended up continuing to score 20. He did it as an efficiency guy, and that's really, really, really hard to do. He leads us in, in assists. Uh, he's up there in uh, rebounds, too, probably second maybe on the team in rebounds, and, and, and most of all, a great kid. So what he does, it's a, it's a hard job to do, and have to do that every single game and count on it. And if you play poorly, we're going to lose a lot of pressure. And so for him to, 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 to rise to that occasion on a consistent basis, 34 games into it is extremely impressive. A couple more thoughts with Lamont Paris in his fifth season as the head men's basketball coach at Chattanooga. And, and as I mentioned early on, Coach Parrish, you look at your five years in. You've progressed and gotten better, especially from a record standpoint each and every year. That first year was mm-hmm. tough, though, 10-23. and 23. So can you speak wow. to that, that first year and then how you've been able to progress each and every year to finally in this fifth year, 27-7 and seven currently, SOCON regular season and tournament champions? Yeah, it's been a process, and I've been fortunate in my career. I haven't done a lot of losing, uh, to say the least. I've just been very lucky, good, and call it whatever you want. But, uh, yeah, so that was – that was there was a lot of humility involved in that. But at the same time, I recognized that's where we were and who we were. So uh, rather than try to quick fix it in a way that was, that was maybe unreliable, we started building. I wanted to build, and I wanted to build and, and how we were going to do things every day, how we were going to practice, and how we were going to uh, be as students, how we were going to communicate, uh, how we were going to respond to coaching, how we were going to respond to adversity and successes, uh, how we were going to be with, uh, with our parents and thanking them for the opportunities that we've had in life. Like, it started with all of that. It started with all of that. And then we finally, ultimately, one day progressed to basketball. I didn't do one basketball thing with this team when I got here for at least a month. And, and uh, we, we, we impacted so many other things that the, the final uh, byproduct ended up being championship-level basketball. And uh, uh, that's just my plan. It's my strategy. 
I've seen it, lived it, been around it so many times. I've, I've sat on the sidelines in probably 25, 26 NCAA tournament games. And so you see what makes guys tick. How do you get there? What's conducive to winning? What's not conducive to winning? And you take all that in and you see that, and I just transfer my experiences onto these guys, and they've accepted that and allowed me to coach them. But, yeah, so we built up. we got some really good players, some great kids. Uh, uh, that have developed and, and here we are and we're winners and and last year you know was a, we started off nine and zero last year and we got one vote in the top twenty five and so COVID then hit us so it was about to happen last year uh, but we had to wait a year for it and so it, it made the wait all that more special. Last thought, uh, Coach Paris, we appreciate the time. I mean, a lot of conference tournament championships are going to be decided. Uh, this weekend, you've got, you know, you you're, you guys were early on with the SoCon. So you have maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more time for preparation. I and mean, I look at the RPI, you guys are 35 uh, right now. So maybe, a, you know, you, you should expect to receive a decent at least seating. Can you take us through the how you're preparing now for next week's NCAA tournament? Yeah, I love the fact that ours is early. Guys get to enjoy a little bit. And the other thing that we have the luxury of doing now is that we can practice and, and practice us and practice timing on our stuff and practice and, and, and troubleshoot some things, right? And so we get a little bit of time to practice for ourselves. We've taken a couple of days off here, get rested up, uh, uh, and guys are spending some time doing that with our training staffs and whatnot. And so we'll get back after it, get in there, work on us, and then, yeah, start to find it. We'll enjoy the moment of finding where we're going to play and who we're going to play, and then we'll get back at it. We'll roll our sleeves up and start preparing specifically for somebody else. But it's a great time uh, for our guys, an unbelievable experience, and I couldn't be happier not for the fact that I'm coaching in the NCAA tournament, but for the fact that I've been a part of providing this experience for these guys. Chattanooga has progressed in each of the five seasons that Lamont Paris has been the head coach there, capping it off this year with the SOCON regular season and tournament championship, a 27-7 and record as Chattanooga will find out on Sunday where it will play in next week's NCAA tournament. Lamont Paris, the head coach of Chattanooga, joins us here on Box to Row. Coach Paris, really appreciate the time. Continued success to you and Chattanooga. Awesome. Thanks, guys, for having me on the show. I really appreciate it, and go Mox, baby. Yes, sir. We'll be right back. Hello, my name is Precious Rose Dunlap, and this is my mother, Michelle Timlake Roll, founder of Marjorie's Beef Jerky Incorporated. We would at this time like to thank our new customers as well as our repeating customers for your business. For every $1 million orders that we receive, our company is giving $2 million away to the bottom of 400 of our paid customers. You see, that's the way we roll. So come place an order at marjoriesbeefjerky.com. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitbeer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh Market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsborough. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's 
and in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. It's Donald Ware from the press box to press row. A busy week in the National Football League. Three big uh, transactions. Uh, if you will, happened this week in the National Football League. First, let's start off with the Russell trade. So Russell Wilson now with the Denver Broncos traded by the Seahawks for a couple of first-round picks and also Drew Locke, the quarterback for the Broncos, now goes to the Seahawks and some other picks. And, of course, the Broncos get the quarterback that the Broncos have needed for many, many years now in Russell Wilson. To me, so to me, I mean, it, it, it's a, I think, I think the Seahawks did well as well because, again, you're getting a couple of first-round picks. You're getting a quarterback who I think has some potential. I mean, I, I, I think Drew Locke, and I remember watching him, really watching him play, not this past year, but the year because, of course, Teddy Bridgewater played a lot more, but the year before thinking, this guy's got some talent. He's still a young guy, can still be developed. And so we don't really know what Drew Locke is. And I think it's a, it's a, but I think it's a solid move for the Seahawks. Seahawks have some good players already. You look at the receiving core. You, you know, the defense hopefully will be, uh, will be solid. Uh, we'll ultimately see now how things ultimately pan out with the defense. But you've still got some players on, you got a good running back got some good receivers, and you get a couple of first-round picks to boot. So, I mean, I think I think this isn't a bad trade for the Seahawks uh, at all. I would say if somebody asked me, well, who do you think won the trade, I would probably say the Seahawks didn't lose the trade. I would put it like that. I mean, you have a guy in Russell Wilson who, you know, it seems in the latter days like it could have gone either way. If you go back to last year's offseason, I think he did want to be traded. Did he want to be traded this year? I mean, I think ultimately, I don't know if he wanted to be traded, but could have gone either way. And remember, Russell Wilson had a no trade clause, so he could have vetoed any potential trade that the Seahawks wanted to make, and he okayed the Denver trade. So I would say the Seahawks didn't lose. I think the Seahawks still have a lot of talent. I mean, obviously, Drew Locke is not Russell Wilson, but let's see. And, and, and really, in that NFC West, I mean, things are going to be extremely tough. When you talk about three playoff teams last year, two of which played in the NFC Championship game and one in which won the Super Bowl. So that's going to be tough, an uphill battle for the Seahawks for next year. But maybe this is the beginning of something new to build upon with the Seahawks. Now, for the Broncos, the Broncos are going to be really, really good already. We're a solid football team. I think the Broncos, not only do the Broncos have a good defense, but I think the Broncos may have one one of, if not the best secondary in all of the National Football League. So you couple that with some weapons on the offensive side of the football. You plug a Russell Wilson in there who's only 33 years old, who still who can still play has a great arm, great deep ball. I wouldn't call, he's not a running quarterback, but he's a he 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 he's a better than average runner, so he can get some things done with his legs. He's extremely bright. 
So he knows his feel for the game. I watched Russell Wilson play, and his feel for the game is absolutely tremendous. He can make something out of nothing a lot of times, especially with his legs, and he's got that strong arm. He's a, he's a tremendous, tremendous athlete. What I would say about this trade is that it comes six years late if you're the Broncos. Peyton Manning, yeah, on the downside of his career, but he's the quarterback and really helps lead the Broncos to winning the Super Bowl, okay, ultimately. Say what you want, retires the next year, and the Broncos have been searching for that quarterback since Peyton Manning and have had a – not only have they been searching for that quarterback, but the Broncos have had a lot of missteps in terms of quarterback to the point that you wasted the career of a Demarius Thomas – You've wasted Von Miller's time and part of his career uh, because think about it. The Broncos with the right quarterback, I thought had the potential to repeat as Super Bowl champions following that 2015 Super Bowl. I think the Broncos had an opportunity to repeat, never could get the quarterback situation straight. Still, even this past year was a quarterback away from possibly really competing. Listen, and you go into that AFC West, you know, I look at, I mean, think about it. The Chargers didn't make the playoffs on last year, but you've got Justin Herbert, who's really, really good. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are really, really good. I mean, and then the Raiders aren't bad. Like the Raiders, you can say what you want. You know, Derek Carr had a solid season last year. You can say what you want. At the end of the day, and we can talk about the upside of the Chargers and all of that. The Raiders made the playoffs. That's a tough, it's an extremely tough division now. I don't know. I mean, this is definitely an upgrade for the Broncos, but I wouldn't say that the Broncos ultimately, I mean, their odds have gone up in terms of making an appearance in the Super Bowl, but I still think, you know, I still think, obviously, I think the Chiefs are better. Um, uh, I still think, you know, when I look at that AFC, I mean, the Ravens have the potential. I don't, I don't know if they're going to be better, but they have the potential to still be really, really good if if Lamar Jackson can ultimately be healthy. Cincinnati's really, really good. So, I mean, it's not a lock to me that the Broncos, I mean, they, they get better. Uh, I think ultimately it makes their playoff, uh, the potential for the playoffs a lot better. But, I mean, there's still a lot of really good teams in the AFC, but obviously it's an upgraded quarterback. But to me, for the Broncos, it comes like six years too late but we'll ultimately see how it plays out I don't think the Seahawks lost in this trade at all then you look at Aaron Rodgers which is not really news I mean I mean it is news but you know it it was a lot more drama right than it ultimately had to be he ultimately re-signed with the Packers they're going to give him an extraordinary deal um, and ultimately they're built with Aaron Rodgers to go to the Super Bowl. The Packers had the best team in the NFC, just did not display that in the game against the 49ers. But the best team. Now, it puts a lot of pressure to me on Aaron Rodgers because you took us through all this drama, not only this year, but going back to last year, when you ultimately re-signed after all of that with the Packers, and now that's added pressure because... Who cares about an MVP? Who cares about making the playoffs? Listen, you've been 13-3 and 
three straight seasons uh, and ultimately prior to this year, back-to-back NFC championship game appearances. It's time to stop talking about getting to the Super Bowl and at least get to the Super Bowl, if not win the Super Bowl. Now it's going to be tough in the NFC. You look at the, you look at the West, it's tough. The North is not going to be great. The East, uh, we'll talk about the East uh, ultimately. And then the South, I don't think it's going to be great either. Like the South may be ultimately won by default. When you think about Tom Brady leaving, ultimately the Buccaneers, Carolina Panthers still trying to find their way. Uh, you look at New Orleans and the change there. And then the Falcons, who knows, right? So that's up for grabs. But, you know, thank you, Aaron Rodgers, for taking us through all of that to ultimately resign back with the Packers. Then the other big news, the Washington football team acquires quarterback Carson Wentz from Indianapolis for a couple of, well, for a second round and a third round pick. Um, and then ultimately, if Carson Wentz plays 70% of the games for Washington, that third round pick becomes a second round pick. The Washington or commanders, the Washington commanders give up no picks or no, no players, but they assume the $28 million contract that Carson Wentz ultimately is going to be paid this year. I mean, I look at this trade. If you're the Colts, I mean, you didn't like Carson Wentz. You, you don't feel like he was a, a great fit. And and really down the stretch, the, the, the Colts had it. Like they should have made the playoffs. All they had to do was win one of the last two games, couldn't get it done. And in part, that was because of Carson Wentz. Now, maybe it wasn't necessarily a great fit. This is the thing about this for the commanders from the commander's perspective. I think you automatically upgrade now at the quarterback position from Taylor Heineke to Wentz. I still think we need to see what Kyle Allen could do, but that's fine. We know, well, but that's the other thing. Like I want to say we know what Carson Wentz can do, but we really don't. Because think about it. Wentz has not been really right since he got hurt the year that the Eagles won the Super Bowl. He was on his way to being an MVP. I think he was like 12-2 and two as a starter goes down. And he hasn't really been right. Like, this was his first, if I'm not mistaken, is like his first full season with the Colts. And the numbers weren't bad. He had 27 touchdowns. I forget what the number of interceptions he had, but it was a career low, right? But, but, but again, winning games and down the stretch, you can put up all the numbers. But if you're not winning games, it, it, then it, it's a mute point. I think when you look at the Colts, they have, you know, had some, they had a, a premier running back, a really good offensive line decent receivers, and a pretty, a better than a good defense, a really good defense. I plug him in now to the Washington football team. I've got Terry McLaurin. You know, I've got a good running game. I've got a good offensive line. I've got some other receivers that I can work with. And then, you know, the defense is 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 not uh, necessarily great for the Washington commanders either, but it's definitely an upgrade at the quarterback position in an NFC East that can still be had, okay? So I think a good, really a good trade for the commanders ultimately, but we'll see because I don't know what Carson Wentz is right now at the quarterback. If I go by what he did with Indianapolis, okay, that's not bad. Everybody wants elite-level quarterbacks. Everybody can't have elite-level quarterbacks, but you got to surround the quarterbacks with good weapons and have a solid defense. So we'll see what happens with the commanders.
My time is about up. I thank you for yours. Thank you to Lamont Paris, the head men's basketball coach at Chattanooga, for joining us today on the program. For more information on Box to Row, log on to our website, BoxToRow.com. And always remember to support those that support Yo, Box Toro is produced by DW Communications.